And today we're talking about prayer. And the title of the message is Prayer Brings Power. Prayer Brings Power. I always like to throw this line out that um, laws have been passed, justices have been, uh, judge, judgments have been rendered, and um, laws have been enacted simply because God's people didn't pray. I believe we can change the world through prayer. And I believe more than ever before in your own personal life, you need to be a person of prayer. We're seeing a lot of crazy going on all the time in our world. It seems like it's getting crazier right now, especially. There's a lot of economic upheaval. Some of you are struggling just to pay bills because of inflation. On top of the regular struggles that you go through, whether it be emotional, spiritual, or, 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 or mental, whatever's going on in your life around you, sometimes it feels like the, the world is just caving in. And then on top of everything else, you got to deal with all the things that our government is doing, uh, the educational department of our country is doing. And then you start to think, are, are we going to have rights and liberty as a country in the future? What is happening to my world? Anybody ever just say that like on a regular basis? What is happening to my world? I mean, on top of just regular life, things are cray-cray beyond just me. And I always think... Here's the deal. The enemy loves to traffic in fear. Fear and uh, paralyze you with panic and stress and worry. And, and sometimes they're trying to convince us that the whole world's against us. There's no use. Just give up. Can I tell you, you never have to give up because you always have an open heaven to pray to your father in heaven who will hear you. Christians are never without resources because Christians have the power of prayer. And so we're going to go to James chapter 5. We're going to unpack this incredible passage here from our big brother James, the Lord's younger brother. Uh, James chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 and 18. We just stand for the reading of God's word and get yourself a Bible if you don't have one already. If you got a Bible in the house, a paper Bible, would you hold it up? Look at all the super spiritual people. The front row heaven, uh, in heaven people. Amen. Now, if you don't have a Bible, don't feel bad about that. Uh, just get one in the lobby out there. I, I believe you should bring a Bible to church. I don't know. I'm old, call me old school. But mark it up, underline it, highlight it, get to know it, get familiar with it. Wear it out. Amen. Amen. Wear it out. Make it, make it all worn out because the Bible that's worn out is in the hand of someone whose life is not worn out. James chapter five, what does he have to say here? Therefore, verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray, and pray for one another that you may be healed. By the way, at all the services, we close with prayer in the front. Some of you need healing today. Take advantage of that when we close. It says pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And then he gives us a little illustration from the Old Testament. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. But back up with me to the last half of verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Say that line with me on the count of three. One, two, three. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Some of you are looking at me saying, I can't say it because I'm not righteous. We'll discuss that in just a moment. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Father, lead us, guide us, 
Help us to hear you. Help us to see Jesus. In his name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Prayer is the power plug in your life. That's the first thing I want you to write down today. Prayer is the power plug in your life. In week one of this series, we talked about the power of the Word of God, where God spoke and things got formed and filled. God speaks and things get formed and filled. How many remember the balloon from two weeks ago? Here it is, it's all. <laughs> Found this backstage, I thought, <laughs> thought I'd show it to you. Yeah, it's a good symbol for our lives, though, because after a few weeks without the Word of the Lord, that's us. It's just pathetic little you. you no good for anybody. Okay. You need to get filled up again. <laughs> God's word fills us and forms us. It brings shape to our lives, brings, brings structure to who we are, brings um, boundaries. You know, one of the things about God's word does is it brings boundaries to our lives. What we should not do, who we should not associate with. There's a lot of people we shouldn't associate with according to the scriptures. One of them is always uh, false people, false believers. Uh, not worldly be believers, but worldly unbelievers, but false believers. They're bad company. And so sometimes we've got to have a discerning spirit because we know the Word of God has said what it says. And when someone who claims to know Christ counter, counters what Christ has said, we should ignore them and stay away from them. But anyway, God gives us boundaries and form to our lives. And then I think about it, it's, it's like God speaks into us, but we can't let it stay there. Here's the, here's the thing. We need to speak back to God. And it's the, I call it the power prayer being the power plug because it's like an electrical circuit. If you know what an electrical circuit is, it's power that has to make a loop back to its source. That's why every plug has two prongs. You've got to have a negative and a positive. And I, I did some research this week about this so that I could tell it to you and with some measure of knowledge, but... In an electrical circuit, a charge is sent that, uh, that electrifies a current. The current is the negative electrons. The negative current comes in and, and tries, tries rapidly to find the positive because electric power works like that. That positive and negative are attracted to each other. And so you have to have the current sent, but to, in order for the power to come to the device, it has to go through the device back to the original source, the positive. So I think about God's word is like the source that comes into us, the power source that comes into us, but it can't just stay there. It shapes us, it informs us, and the word of God opens our eyes to the things that are not right in us and in our world and makes us frustrated in some ways with what's going on in the world, with what's going on in our lives. But if we just let it sit there, and we don't let the current, the, 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 the force, go back to God, we will get no light, no power in our lives. So as God speaks to you and you feel like, I'm not where I should be. Okay, so now you take where you know you shouldn't be and you offer up a prayer to God. God speaks about peace and you're like, I don't have any peace. Well, you offer a prayer up to God. You're completing the circuit. God's word is informing what's not right and then you form it through the power of your prayer into what God wants it to be. Amen. 
Don't miss out on the prayer plug of your life. And I want to say to you, anything that you're going through right now and anything that you're feeling right now and anything that you're experiencing right now, whether it be financial, emotional, social, relational, whatever it is, that God cares about that and he wants to hear your voice in prayer. And more than that, he wants to answer your prayers with his goodness and grace. You're never without resources because you can always pray. But there is a lack of prayer in our lives. And I think over the course of 20 some odd years of doing ministry, I found this, there's many excuses people make for not praying. And in this message, I, I kind of want to give you points that are negative, but they're actually just to kind of eliminate the point. So it's a bit of a strange message, a point system today. The points are not positive. The point are what we allow to get into our hearts and minds that keep us from praying. I call them the seven most common reasons we don't pray. And I wanna share them with you and then scriptures to help eliminate those excuses from your life. Because I believe that you are always just a prayer away from a better day. A prayer away from a better day. Amen. Okay, so number one, I'm not sure I should pray about this. This is, a, this is a big excuse for some people. I'm not sure I should pray about this. Well, what is this? Well, usually there are some things that we think, well, God surely doesn't want to hear about that. God doesn't want to hear my prayers about things that I got myself into. He's probably up in the and saying, see, I told you not to do it. You did, and look what you got. So he doesn't want to hear about that. Or maybe we're making a big decision about purchasing something, and the thing is more than what we need. It's not a need, it's not a necessity, it's a want. And so we're like, well, I shouldn't pray about that because God doesn't care about my wants. He only cares about my needs. Or, or maybe we're in a, a, a situation where we're going through something that's negative, really bad, sinful maybe, even like divorce or something like that. Or, or we're in the midst of something that's just gripped our hearts, an, an addiction or something we just cannot get victory over. And we think, I don't think I should pray about that either because you know what? God doesn't like the fact that I'm involved in this. And, and so if we're not careful, we'll play a game with our head about what we shouldn't pray for, when all the while God in heaven wants us to pray about everything. James chapter five, verse 13, backing up with just a few verses, he says, if any one of you is suffering, and I love the fact that he says, anyone, somebody say anyone. anyone. Who is anyone? anyone. Yeah, you are. <laughs> and suffering, no qualifier. Like he doesn't, if anyone is suffering justly, let him pray. No, if anyone is suffering, period. Like, that's the question. Are you suffering? Are you hurting? Are you going through something that's stressing you out? Let him pray. By the way, we'll talk about that last half of that verse next week. If anyone is cheerful, let him sing praise. But today, the power of prayer. Next week, the power of praise. Philippians chapter 4, 6. I love this one. Do not be anxious about what? Anything. Like, don't let anything get up in your spirit. Don't let anything get a grip in your heart and cause you anxiety. And I love the word anything. If you got your paper notes out there, underline anything. Because anything means anything. And I, I, I say this on a regular basis to, to, to you, and I, I fear that sometimes you just don't catch it, but can you, can you promise me? And you don't have to say yes or no, because I don't even want to make you vow anything, but can you, can you say, stop saying, I have anxiety. Stop saying that you have it. You might get anxious. You might have things stressing you out. You might have concerns in your mind and in your heart. But stop putting a possessive around something that the devil wants you to have. Stop speaking to yourself the exact words the devil wants you to believe about yourself. 
I have anxiety. I have, I mean, you know, addictions too. Well, I have this addiction. No, no, the enemy's coming after me. The flesh is trying to drag me down. Yes, the devil's going after me, but I know something about me. I have the Holy Spirit of God. I have the power of Jesus. I have the Word of God. Start owning what God wants you to own. Start rejecting what God wants you to reject. See, I, believe, I don't believe we do name it, claim it in this church, like say it and it'll sprout into being. I don't believe that. But I do believe that our words shape our reality and our mentality. And if you just keep saying, I have anxiety, you just be anxious. When the scripture says, be anxious for nothing. about any, Don't be anxious about anything. But in what? Everything. Underline everything in your notes there in everything by prayer and supplication and, un and just circle with thanksgiving. Because sometimes it's hard to pray when we are praying with thanksgiving. Hard to pray with thanksgiving when we're praying because we're stressed about something, we want something to change, okay? But we say, the word is thanksgiving there on purpose because prayer offered with thanksgiving is acknowledging in faith that God is going to give us what we should have. Father, I'm anxious about this, this job offer or I'm, 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 I'm worried, I'm concerned about my child that's got this thing or I'm concerned about the medical report. But I'm offering prayers to you because you care for me and you are never going to abandon me. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear nothing because you are with me, your rod and your staff, they cover me. And I am thankful that you never abandon your children. And I offer this prayer to you. You're not just praying it, you're believing the prayer is gonna be answered according to the will of God and God's will for you is always good. Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, it says that he taught them a prayer, a parable, sorry, a parable that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And the parable is about a woman, a widow, and a widow in Jesus' day was the weakest member of society. No rights, no privileges, no power to her name. And she had an enemy who was treating her unjustly, and so she calls out to a judge, and Jesus describes the judge as a, a judge that doesn't fear God and doesn't care about men. And she doesn't let who he is stop her from praying and calling out to him. So she just starts bugging him to death. She starts texting him endlessly. She starts calling his office. It's me again, the widow, I need justice. He ignores her for some time. He goes out to the golf course. There she is on the tee. I'm over here. Give me justice against my enemies. He tries to go to the country club. She's outside with a sign. Give me justice against my enemies. He tries to go out on his boat. She's in the water swimming. Give me justice against my And he's like, all right, enough. I don't care about God. I don't care about people. But if she will not stop, I'll give her what she wants. And that's the parable that Jesus uses to encourage us to pray. And he says, if an unjust judge with no conscience can get changed by persistence, how much more will your father who cares about you and loves you get changed by your persistence Woo. to act on your behalf? Some of you are just, you refusing to bless your own life because you don't pray to the God who loves you and wants to care for you and, and help you. First Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Never stop praying. Never stop. Now that doesn't mean you have to be on your knees 24 hours a day. Some Christians take the scriptures so literally. And oh, that means that every time I'm not praying, I'm sitting. No, it just means don't be a person who ceases prayer. You might need to pray 
on the way into work. You might need to pray the 15 steps that you take from your cubicle to the next cubicle. You need to pray maybe between the, the living room and the kitchen, between you and your kid or your spouse or whatever. You need to just have a moment of prayer right before you gotta do something else. And I, I think this is important for everyone to hear. God will hear you regardless of posture. Look, some of you are trapped. You're like, I'm only praying when I'm on my knees and my hands are clasped like this and I'm bowed and my eyes are closed. And like, this is the only way that God hears me. No, he hears you in every moment of your life. Offer up a prayer to God about whatever is on your heart. And the, and the promise of Philippians 4, the half, that we didn't put it on the screen, but if you pray about everything, be anxious for nothing, it says the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Implication being, you need someone bigger than you to guard your heart and mind. And it needs to be God's peace. God's peace, the word in Greek means a sentry who stands guard. He will put a sentry in front of your heart, an army soldier in the spiritual realm, in front of your heart and mind. And when that anxiety and when that anxious thing starts to come in, it just, get out, this one belongs to God. This is God's child. All right, number two, the Lord already knows what I need. Oh, this is a big excuse for a lot of people. Well, the Lord knows my heart, so I don't need to really pray about it because he'll take care of it. Yeah, that's true, but he wants to hear you voice your prayers. When Jesus is teaching about prayer and telling us to pray in Matthew chapter six, he freely acknowledges that God already knows what we need, but yet he tells us to pray. Look at this in Matthew chapter six, verse seven. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. This is, I love this passage. Let me just deal with this first, this verse first. They think they will be heard for their many words. Can I tell you, you don't have to pray long to pray strong. Anne Lamont, a great Christian writer a couple, about a decade ago, she wrote a book, a three word title. Uh, Help, thanks, wow. And the premise of the book is sometimes those are the three prayers you just need to pray. Every prayer comes down to those three words. Help, thanks, wow. And sometimes that's all we can pray to God because that's all we have time for. Help, thanks, wow. <laughs> Praise, right? So you don't have to pray long to pray strong. You don't have to heap up empty words. By the way, some of you are from a church tradition where it's always the same prayers every single day. And you don't need that. I'm just trying to tell you that, that sometimes the church does the exact opposite of what Jesus tells us to do. And when he says, pray this way, our Father in heaven, he didn't say this is what you should say. He said this is how you should pray. So the themes of the prayer are what you're supposed to pick up on there. And so when we pray, it doesn't have to be a bunch of words. Some Christians think they're only going to get heard if they pray for an hour. I heard a funny thing, there's this round table of ladies, it was on a Christian television station, a round table of ladies, and, and one of the ladies, you know, she had four kids in five years, and she was on the round table with all these older saints, all these older women, and their question was, how, off, how long do you spend in prayer to God? And the first one was like, I spend an hour a day in prayer to God. And the second one, I spend two hours a day in prayer to God. Another one, I spend about 30 hours a day. And then God, finally to the woman with the four kids in five years, she said, listen, if I have an hour of free time in my life, I'm taking a nap. <laughs> I got kids. Sometimes you just gotta just throw up a prayer as, as things happen in your life. What I do when I walk my dogs, I just pray. I start my day with walking my dogs and praying to God. 
And I pray through the Lord's Prayer, the themes of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, I gotta remember that, Lord, you are my Father, you are my caretaker, you watch over me. You are in heaven, you see things from a different perspective. I pray that your will, not my will today is done. I pray that you change earth with the, hev- with the heavenly power that you have. And I pray, God, that you give me what I need today. And Lord, I do pray for these wants too. I lift these up to you, Lord, that I'll have what I want and need, Lord. And then I pray that you forgive me of my sins because I messed up yesterday, so I ask God for your grace and mercy. And then I pray that you help me to have a gracious and merciful heart for other people who are not like me and who have hurt me. And then, Lord, lead me away from the things that tempt me and keep me from the enemy who's attacking me because it's not about me, it's about you. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And you pray through those themes and God will hear you. So then he says this, do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. But the emphasis is Jesus is teaching us to pray in spite of the fact that God already knows what we need. So you don't stop praying because God knows it. You pray because God knows it. It's meant to encourage you to pray, not discourage you to pray. Number three, God is sovereign. I can't change his mind. Now, this is a big one. God is sovereign. He's going to do what he wants to do. So what am I, what's the use of praying? <laughs> no, that is a terrible version of God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty does not mean that he controls everything. So God didn't control Hitler killing all the Jews, right? No, no, no. God is sovereign, meaning that he is over everything. Yes, Hitler got away with it for a few years, and then God took care of it, and he's going to rot and burn in hell for all eternity, right? So so God is sovereign. He's over everything. But you you can see God do different things in your life than you expect. And this this is something else that we say. Well, God doesn't change his mind. So why should I even pray? I can't change his mind. Okay, let me teach you about the sovereignty of God and the changing mind of God because God does change his mind and God doesn't change his mind. Here's what it means. God does not change his mind in the fact that he always thinks perfectly. His mind never needs to change because he is absolutely holy, righteous and pure. And every thought and how he thinks it is perfect. You cannot improve on perfection. Are you with me? In other words, God never learns anything. Never. He is always knowing everything perfectly at the same time. But God absolutely will change what he plans to do based on the response and the prayers of the people he plans to do it to. Give you two examples from the scriptures. Jonah chapter three, Jonah goes into the city of Nineveh. Nineveh Nineveh was destined to be destroyed. And Jonah, the rebellious prophet, goes into the city and he preaches the shortest sermon in human history. And the sermon is this. 40 days and Nineveh is destroyed. Let's close in prayer. Like that's that's the sermon. And the king hears Jonah preaching and he calls the whole nation to repent and fast and pray and turn to God. And the scripture says in Jonah 3.10 that when God saw what they did, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented. That means he changed his plans of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. Yes, America is doomed, as every other country in the world is doomed, but that's why we are here. We are here to preserve America from doom. We are here to preserve America from rot. And if we pray for our country, God can turn things around in this country. 
If you pray for your family, God can turn things around in your family. If you pray for your neighborhood, God can turn things around in your neighborhood. He can change what he's planning to do. There's a king named Hezekiah. And God told Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 38, he sent Isaiah to Hezekiah. He said, he said, Hezekiah, the Lord, thus says the Lord, set your house in order for you shall die. You shall not recover. And Hezekiah just freaks out and it says that he turned his face to God and he prayed. And he said, please, Lord, remember how I've walked before you with a whole heart, done what is good in your sight. And he wept bitterly. And then the very next verse, then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, go say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the, the God of heaven, the same words, thus says the Lord, you shall die. Now is thus says the Lord, the God of your father, David. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I add 15 years to your life. Who needs some, some years added to their life? I wonder who here today, you looking back in your life and you say, man, the devil stole so many of my years. And he didn't even have to steal them. I willingly handed them over to him. I mean, let's be honest, right? Oh, I wish I could get those years back. Well, don't worry about getting those years back. Pray that God will add some years on, amen. God, give me some years to serve you in my later years. Give me some years to serve you when I'm older, Lord. God didn't use Moses mightily until he was 80. God didn't give uh, Abraham a son until he was 100 years old. God specializes in giving you your best years when you pray to him now in this year. Maybe 2022 has been a horrible year. Well, you got three months to pray over 2023 before it starts. God, I pray for my best year of my life in 2023. Amen. I'm praying already for our church. I am. I sometimes, I, I woke up with a thought a couple days ago, and the thought was, you know, we can't ever feel like we're an old established church. We can't, we're 18 years old, this church is 18 years old right now. And uh, we're officially adults, we can vote, amen, okay. But we're, we're not yet done, we're just getting started, amen. I know we got six locations in, in, in three states and in two countries, but, but we're just getting started because I don't think that God is nearly done with what he wants to do through Waters Church, and that includes every single one of you. You're not here by accident, you're here to do a work with, of the Lord with us. And we can change we can change what seems like it's gonna happen through our prayers. We can change what God intends to happen through our prayers. Number four, it's too late for my situation. It's too late, the doctor says I got six months to live, it's too late. That's what the doctor says. Did COVID teach you anything? Did the lockdowns, did all this stuff teach you anything? They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. I know I'm gonna offend some people by saying this stuff. But they don't know. The science is always evolving, changed. Whenever they say the science is fixed, they're lying to you. And all these doctors, like I just saw this doctor, one of the, one of the lead um, uh, practitioners, one of the lead, sorry, scientists in the Pfizer vaccine. He just got COVID. He's got a quarantine. He's been th three times vaxxed. He's been masked up since the beginning of time. I mean, he's just been staying in his apartment the whole time. And he got COVID and now he has to isolate from isolating. My point is, my point is, I appreciate and love doctors, and I thank God, and I've had good doctors in my life, and we always want to honor those who are giving themselves to the medical profession and never speak evil of them, but they are not God. They don't know as much as our God does. And so when they give you the prognosis, always remember, you've got not a second opinion, you've got a supernatural opinion. An opinion that comes from your Father in heaven whose arm is never too short to save. He can pull you back from the brink. 
Psalm 50, verse 15. It says, call on me in the day of trouble. In the day of trouble. Like some of you are like, I'm in trouble now. It's too late. I'm getting what I deserve. No, now. In the day of trouble, call and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. It's not too late. Oh, how about the thief on the cross? Why is that story there? Matthew 27, 44. Look what it says, what Matthew says. The robbers, the two robbers who were crucified with Jesus reviled him. Both of them were at Jesus' attacking Jesus on the cross. Both of them. But look at Luke's account. It says that uh, Jesus, the, the one guy turned to Jesus and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, truly today you'll be with me in paradise. So why does Matthew say both of them reviled him? And then Luke says that one of them turned to Jesus and said, remember me. Because they're both, they're both Matthew and Mark, Luke are presenting different moments of the same account. When those, when those two guys got up there hanging with Jesus, they were probably ticked off. Someone nails you across, you're not gonna be in a good mood. And they just start looking at Jesus and they just start, you know, oh, I, I thought you could save us. And they start cursing him. But one guy is starting to look down an eternity of death, eternity of hell. And he suddenly comes to his senses and he, and he does a Hail Mary, a three half court shot. <laughs> Lord Jesus, remember me. Uh, when you come into your kingdom, he doesn't even have like the opportunity to do one good thing. Doesn't have an opportunity to get baptized. Nobody can even sprinkle. I mean, he's about to die. Remember me, like hail Mary. Only it's hail Jesus. And uh, Jesus says, okay, done. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. It's never too late. It's never too late to reach out to God. Now, I don't advise I don't advise this plan, this life plan that some people have. You're gonna go and do all your little fun and then when you're all done having your fun, you're gonna throw a Hail Mary pass to God and get saved. Okay, you understand that God's hearing you think about that right now, right? (laughs) And so here's what he's gonna do. He's not gonna curse you. He's just gonna make life exceedingly rough for you. That's what he's gonna do. All right, you wanna have fun? Let's see you have fun. And then he's just gonna let the devil and all of his demons vomit all over you for 30 years. And you're gonna wonder, why is life so bad? I don't understand. And God's like, well, you asked for this. This is what you wanted. I'm giving it to you so that you understand that's your future and eternity without me. Wow. And sometimes God hands us over to what we want so that we'll turn back to him. That's the prodigal son story. Give me, give me my share of the estate. Okay, here you go. And he ran off and he realized that dad's house was better than when he, where he ended up. So, so sometimes God lets that happen, but don't do that. Don't be that person because here's the deal. You have to understand that God is the author of life. He's the, one, he's the fount of all blessing. He's the, he's the prince of peace. And all the things that you deep down need, he can give you. So when you have this life plan that you're gonna go have all, all this fun without him, it's actually, the, it's actually living a lie. Because apart from him, there's only temporary pleasure and permanent pain. With him, there is permanent pleasure and short-term pain. Amen. That's good preaching right there. Just letting you know. And then that rebellious Jonah, that rebellious Jonah, you know Jonah, right? The rebellious prophet. God said, go preach to Nineveh. He said, no. And he goes down to Joppa, and I've been to Joppa. It's called Haifa now in Israel. And he gets a ticket to board a ship to go to Tarshish, not Paul of Tarshish, Saul of Tarshish, Tarshish, Tarshish in Spain. It's the furthest city away from Nineveh that he could find. That's how rebellious he was. God said, go left. He said, I'm gonna go as far right as I can possibly go. And he gets into the boat and the storm comes. And the sailors are all like, what's going on with the storm? He goes, oh, that's me, my fault. 
He says, my God is the God of heaven and earth and uh, he's trying to torture me because I'm running from him. He says, I got a plan. You throw me in the water, everything's gonna be fine for you. They're like, are you serious? They're like, yeah. So they throw him into the water and everything's fine. Suddenly the storm stops and the sailors start worshiping God. <laughs> they get saved. Jonah's sinking into the, into the ocean and the Bible says that the Lord provided a great fish and it swallowed up Jonah. And he's in the midst of the fish and he suddenly comes to his senses. I mean, talk about being too late. He's in the belly of a fish. And it says in verse three, you cast me into the deep. I love the fact that he's so disconnected from reality. He's praying to God, you did this. And God's like, no, you did this. You asked for this. You cast me into the deep in the heart of the seas. Your floods surrounded me. Your waves billows over me. Then I said, and look what he says. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. No, 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 Jonah, get the facts right. You weren't driven away. You ran away. But then the last part of the verse, yet I shall look again to your holy temple. I just want to bring this up because I want to show you that Jonah's not even praying right. He's not even being honest. You drove me away. This is all your fault, God. I don't understand. God's like, you dummy. But one little thing of let me look upon your holy temple. And God's like, okay. And I love the end of chapter two because it says, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out on the dry land. Amen. If you read the King James Version, it says, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it doth vomited. <laughs> Some of you, next time you get the 24 hour flu, honey, I think I need to doth vomit. Amen. <laughs> but <laughs> not too late. Turn your neighbor, just say, it's not too late. It's not too late. Never too late. Hallelujah. I love that about God. Number five, I don't know how to pray. Oh, this is a big one for some people. Well, I don't know what to say when I pray. Talk to your father as if he's your father. Say what's on your mind. Tell him. And by the way, if you don't know how to pray, can I tell you, you're in good company. No one, absolutely no one was born a good prayer. No one was. Even the Pope did not pop out of his mom's belly and start going, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I had to learn how to pray. You had to learn how to pray. Hey, let me take you to 11, Luke 11. Luke 11, it says this, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples came and said, Lord, teach us to pray. So they saw a prayer life in Jesus that they were inspired by, and they're like, Lord, teach us how to do that. And he does. Here's the deal. The, 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 the giants of faith, Peter, James, John, Andrew, the giants of faith were at one point just like you who didn't know how to pray. They had to learn. And that's how life is about everything, if you think about it. Everything that you do well, you had to learn. You weren't good at it from, from birth. Like imagine if we treated everything else in your life like that. Like you get up to get walking and you fall and your parents are like, well, I guess he's not just gonna be walking. He's just not gonna be a walker. He's just not his gift. You gotta try again. And some of you, this is why we do small groups and we encourage you in small groups or life groups to pray in front of people. Because that'll teach you to pray. I remember when I was the youth pastor up in our Norwood location and I would go to the pre-service prayer meeting and everybody would be calling on God, these powerful prayer words, calling on God and I'd be so intimidated, so intimidated to open my mouth and pray. And I went for weeks without praying. And finally the Lord just kind of challenged me, just try it. And so I opened up my mouth and I started praying out loud. And it wasn't that great. And, and, and I gotta also warn you, like don't worry about how it feels coming out. 
It's not like the angels are up in heaven with scorecards being like, that's a 7.5 right there. That's we'll send this straight to the heavens right there, straight to the Father with that one. It's not an Olympic competition, friend. You know, what I'm trying to tell you is you don't have to perform in prayer, but you learn how to pray the same way you learn how to walk and drive a car, doing it. So in small group, all the small group members uh, and all the life group leaders, listen to me. This is your challenge this week. I want you to encourage your life group to pray. Everybody pray out loud in front of everybody else at this week's small group. This week's gonna be the emptiest life groups across Waters Church locations, isn't it? I'm not going this week. You know, and we, you can do it. And sometimes, again, go back to, you don't have to pray long to pray strong. So maybe your prayer is, uh, God, I just thank you that we're here today and so far no one's died, amen. <laughs> like that could be a prayer. It's okay, it's okay, but you gotta start trying it. You gotta, you know, Waters Church, let me just tell you, we're the church. We're the people of God. And all around us, voices, voices, voices on our television set, voices on the news station, voices on the radio, voices about everything. Everybody's speaking about something, everybody's sharing their opinion. We got a voice. But it's not our voice that changes the world, it's our prayers that change the world. Let our voice be heard in a world of nonsense voices so that our Father intervenes in our world and changes the, the environment, amen? amen? Speak it out. Number six, I'm not worthy to pray. This kind of goes hand in hand with the last one. I'm, I don't know how to pray. I'm not worthy to pray. And that prayer line, that, that prayer line, the prayer of a righteous person avails much, right? Or the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. That's verse 16 in James chapter five. Look at the very next verse. It says, Elijah was a man, and underline these next uh, five words, with a nature like ours. Underline those words. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently. Now, the word prayed fervently in the Greek is the same word back to back, proskeo. So it's actually not two different words. It's the word, so literally it's he proskeo, proskeo. He pray, prayed. That's the Greek way of saying he really prayed. And it says he prayed that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain. Now, Elijah, what I love about the Bible is when it talks about the heroes of the Bible, it never gives us a glossed over, filtered image of the Bible's heroes. Don't you love that? We know their mistakes. We know David's adultery. We know Abraham's lack of faith regarding his wife and his safety. We know that he slept with the servant to have, a, to have a son when God was gonna give him one through his wife. I mean, we know all about the mistakes of God's people. Can I tell you that Elijah, as much as we herald him as this amazing man of God, he also had a B-side. Yeah, he had some low-end tracks. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? The scripture says that he called down fire from heaven. In, in 1 Kings chapter 18, called down fire from heaven. First he prays and there's no rain, then he prays and fire, not rain, falls from heaven. Wow! But then he kills all the prophets of Baal and he tells them that rain's coming and rain falls on the earth again. And then it says this, that Jezebel hears about it. Jezebel, the wicked queen, named King, uh, King Ahab's wife. Jezebel hears it, sends a message to Ahab, says, I'm gonna kill you just like you killed my prophets if, if, by this time tomorrow. And the scripture says in verse three, then he was afraid and he rose and ran for his life, came to Bathsheba, which belongs to Judah, left the servant there. Verse four, he went a day's journey into the wilderness and he came and he sat down under a broom tree and he said, that, and he prayed that he might die and he said, Lord, it's enough now. Take my life, I'm no better than my ancestors. 
How do you go from calling down fire from heaven in one chapter to about 10 verses later, you are asking God to die and you are suicidal? Anybody ever go from super spiritual to suicidal in one day? How do you do it? Simple. Be human. Be human. That's what James is saying. He had a nature like ours. He had his good days and he had his bad days. And, and, and you know, that's the way the scripture is saying, it, in reality, we're all a little bit bipolar. Like all you bipolar people. There's another thing you gotta stop saying. I have bipolar. No, you are bipolar. Just like us. We're all bipolar. The scripture talks about the flesh and the spirit. They battle against each other. There's always going on. There's a conflict inside of us. That's called bipolar. That's why she will wake up some mornings, husbands, and you'll be like, who are you? Are you the son of the devil? Or are you, a, are you his daughter? Or are you my wife? I mean, and some days the same is true for the men. He'll be a bear one moment, and he'll be like loving you and, and you know, rubbing your shoulders at next. Because we're all got a nature. Here's the thing. Don't let your sin nature stop you from receiving God's righteous nature. Stop you from believing that God makes you righteous. Because that's the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is not be righteous. The message of the gospel is you are righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. You think about how righteous Elijah was to be heard by God in such a powerful way. But you know the Bible says that we're more righteous than Elijah? Do you know that? By the righteousness that God provides us in Christ Jesus makes us more righteous than all the Old Testament prophets completely. Did you know that? Some of you gotta get this scripture in your head. They come to Jesus, they're like, John sent us a message. They said, uh, he wants to know if you're the one we should expect or should we expect someone else? That's John the Baptist. John the Baptist baptized Jesus. John the Baptist talked about Jesus coming. And when Jesus comes and starts healing and doing mighty works, he has a breakdown. He has a bad moment. John the Baptist, he's in prison. And he's like, is this what I went to prison for? He's healing everybody. I told him he was gonna come and curse everybody and, and judge everybody. He's healing everybody. And so he sends messages. John the Baptist sends messengers to Jesus. Are you the one that we should wait for or we should wait for it? What happened? John the Baptist had a bipolar moment. And so Jesus says this. What did you see out there in the wilderness when you went out to hear John the Baptist? Did you see somebody swayed by the wind? Did you see somebody who was one way and the other way? No, no, you saw a mighty man. But then he says this next line in verse 11. He says, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has been no one greater than John the Baptist. In other words, John the Baptist is the greatest Old Testament saint ever. The next line, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What is he saying? Is he saying that we're more moral than John the Baptist? No, he's saying that our righteousness that we have received by faith through Jesus Christ's death and burial and resurrection makes us more righteous than all the Old Testament saints were. This is why John, Paul says in Romans chapter three, verse 21, there is a righteousness of God that has been manifested apart from the law. Although all the law and prophets pointed to it, the through faith in Christ Jesus for all who, what? Believe that means that you have more access to the heavenly realm than all the Old Testament saints did. See, stop having an inferiority complex with the people of this book. There's only one you're really inferior to, and that's Christ. But he's the one who made himself inferior so that you could be superior. 
superior spiritually before the Father. You can, hear, you can know that he hears you. First John chapter 5, 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and this is our confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Yeah. Oh man, that is good preaching right there. Your righteousness and faith through faith in Christ Jesus makes you more righteous than any of the Old Testament saints. And so if God heard them, he will hear you. Number seven, I don't see results when I pray. Welcome to the club, first of all. I always say there's four answers to every prayer. Yes, no, grow, slow. Yes, no, grow, slow. Sometimes God says yes, sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says you need that later in life when you've grown up a little bit. And sometimes God says, slow down, I will get to it. I don't, do, I don't work on your time, I work on my time. But it doesn't mean you stop praying. So let's go back to verse 17. Elijah with a nature like ours prayed fervently that it won't rain and it didn't rain. But then the verse, next verse it says in verse 18, then he prayed again and the heavens gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Now, if you go back to the story in 1 Kings about Elijah's two prayers there, two prayers separated by three and a half years, the first prayer, no rain, and God instantly answers, instant. The next prayer to bring the rain back, different story. Different story. Look at it here in verse, uh, where are we? Verse 41 of 1 Kings 18. It says, Elijah said to Ahab, go up and eat and drink, for there is the sound of rushing rain. Now, he hasn't even prayed yet. He's like, there's gonna be rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went, down to the top, went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down to the earth and put his face between his knees. Now, now I'm not making a joke, so don't laugh at this moment. But when it says that he put his face between his knees, it's literally the posture, the Hebrew way of speaking, of the posture of a woman when she's in labor. Face between her knees. Sometimes that's what prayer is, prevailing prayer. You got something up in here. You wanna, you wanna get it out. Something's weighing on your spirit, something's weighing on your heart, something, something's in, God has birthed a dream, a vision, a plan, a purpose, a business, a family, a child, the return of a child, and it's up in here, and, it's just, and you just know it's there, and it just won't let you go, and you just gotta, you just gotta push. And, and, and it says this, he put his face between his knees, and then he said to his servants, go up and look toward the sea, and the servant came back and said, there's nothing. In other words, he's looking for clouds, there's nothing. He said, go again, seven times, seven times. You gotta think about Elijah and his reputation. He's like, I got a reputation here. When I pray, God works. And here's my own servant not seeing something happen when I'm praying, but it doesn't stop him from praying. Seven times, he said, go look, go and look, go and look, go and look. Like on the fifth time, like, I don't know if I should tell him to go and look anymore. You gotta push through, you gotta pray through. And then in verse 45, in a little while, the heavens, I'm sorry, he says this, and then he came back in verse 44, and he says, behold, a little cloud, like a man's hand is rising. A man's hand, like this is all he saw, a little cloud like this. He said, now, prepare for rain. Man, sometimes we give up before we see the promise show up. Don't do that. You push again, you push again, you push again. Every woman in this house who's given birth can say it better than I can. You don't give birth on the first push. Sometimes you don't give birth until the 1500th push. God bless you, by the way, if that was you. 
You gotta keep at it and keep at it and keep at it. And some of you have given up on a prayer. Gotta get back to it. One of the best things you can do is get prayer at the end of our services. Get somebody to pray with you. Lift it up to God. The power of two agreeing on earth has power in heaven to be done on earth. I believe we're gonna see God do a mighty work in your life and a mighty work in our church as we pray and call out to God. Next Tuesday, not this Tuesday, next Tuesday, next time we're together, by the way, on Sunday is October 1st. That means it's time for First Tuesday. And the thing that shapes our church all month long is the prayer time from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. And I wanna challenge you, as many of you as can be here, come on out here and pray to God at all of our locations, our other locations, Woonsocket and, and, Tiver and Tiverton, South Coast. Come and pray. Let's call out to God. Because I, when I look at the crazy in the world, I wanna give up. I wanna just throw my hands up. I wanna just turn off the television, just shut down life. But that's not what we do. We are not the people who shrink back. We are the people who step up and we are the people who God hears and his voice will rock this earth if we call on him to change things in our time. Let's not give up. Would you stand with me at all of our locations? And bow your heads and close your eyes because I want to give you an opportunity to pray the prayer that can change everything for your life if you've never prayed it before. The prayer of salvation. The prayer of repentance. Bow your head, close your eyes. If you know you need Christ, this is the day to say yes to Jesus. This is the prayer that makes every other prayer possible. The prayer of repentance. The prayer of asking God for forgiveness. So right where you are, I wanna give you a chance to do that right here, right now. If that's you, repeat after me. Say it with your mouth. You can say it quietly, but say it from your heart. Repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I need you to forgive me of all my sins through Jesus Christ, your Son. Today I ask you, be my Savior and my God. I choose to follow you as best as I know how. In Jesus' name.